Hallelujah. Lord, we worship you. We magnify your name. We exalt you. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, let's say our confession. This is our year of Jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham, uh, Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Folks, we know that God chose Abraham to make a covenant with and to bless his seed for generations until the end of the earth. This word, uh, Almighty God, this name, Almighty God, that God gives himself, it means the most powerful one. It's talking about and is used in uh, context with creation. And it's the foundation of this covenant that God made with Abraham and the seed of Abraham, the people of Israel. God had a problem. And his problem was, how does he communicate with the person he's chosen to be a, a covenant partner with? This name, Almighty God, is used 48 times in the Old Testament. 31 times in the book of Job. Now, we don't know much about Job. Most Bible scholars agree that the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. We know that Job was not a um, descendant of Abraham. He's not in the, the list of the lineage of Abraham. And when God picked Abraham, there really wasn't anything special about him. He was an idol worshiper, just as everybody else was at that time. And so God appeared to Abraham many times throughout his life. And we also have to realize that God is bigger than his word. There's a verse of scripture. Let me read it to you in Exodus chapter 6. Verse 2, And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But my name Jehovah was I not known to them. You may remember when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he talked a lot about having been caught up into heaven. 
And it says that he said that he heard things that were unlawful to utter. Now, that it, the translation is really poor in that case because he's not saying that God wouldn't let him declare the things that he saw or tell about the things that he heard. He said, instead, there are things that he saw in heaven that he was not able to describe or explain. So when God chooses his word to reveal himself, and here it tells the difference in the two names, Almighty God, but then the next one that he refers to is his name, Jehovah. Jehovah means the self-existent one. Now, for example, in Genesis chapter 2, it tells us about how God created man and he breathed into him and he became a living soul. Now, folks, let me ask you a question. Does God breathe? If God breathes, then there's a whole big part of his creation that he cannot access. There's no oxygen in outer space. And so when the angels, for example, in Daniel's account, tells about how the angels came from the first day that Daniel set his face to seek the Lord, to have a fast, these angels must have to hold their breath for a long, long time to get from heaven to earth. God doesn't breathe. If God is dependent on oxygen to, to breathe, then he's not the self-existent one. So there are other things in the scripture that reveal to us characteristics of God but God is bigger than even the words that he speaks now the Bible says that he limits himself to the word of God by that we mean we understand and have record of how he ex describes himself how he reveals himself and we know that in the Old Testament it tells us of seven different names that God identifies himself by. Seven different names that God gives himself. The first one is in Exodus chapter 15. He says, I am the God that heedeth thee, Jehovah Rapha. We know that the Lord is our shepherd because he identifies himself as the Lord. Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. It tells us about God identifying himself as the God of our victory or banner. It tells us that he identifies himself as the present one. I'll never leave you nor forsake you, he told us. And there are seven, I'm leaving a couple of out, but there are seven different re redemptive names that God gives himself. 
Now, when God chose Abram to be his covenant partner, he set in motion things that we should understand or at least attempt to understand about who he is. I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 12 where it tells us how God appeared to Abraham and called him. Genesis 12, verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So the Bible tells us that Abraham left and went to where God wanted him to go. He went through the land of Canaan. And along the way, God blessed him and did what he said that he would do. Genesis chapter 13, after Abram had gone down into Egypt during the time of famine, it says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him unto the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. Now, folks, there are some things that I think it would serve us well to identify about how God dealt with Abram. God is revealing himself because he wants to know Abram and he wants Abram to, look, to know him. So it tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 18, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 8, I'm going to start reading in verse, oh, where, where should we start? Let's start in verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 6. It says, Therefore shalt thou keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear of them. He's talking through Moses. These are Moses' words to the children of Israel. So he said, Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring up out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he giveth thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his statutes and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full, he wants you to eat and be full. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwell therein, he must not have a problem with goodly houses. And when thy herds and thy flocks are multiplied, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thy heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water. 
But God brought them forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou shalt say in thine heart, My power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he which giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. So when Abraham was made very rich in silver and cattle and gold, he wasn't just singled out specifically or individually because this is what God planned for all of his children, the nation of Israel. Now the Bible tells us that we have a better covenant established upon better promises and that we are the seed of Abraham. Galatians chapter 3 Verse 29 says, and if you be Christ, then are you heirs of all these blessings, the blessings of Abraham. God wants his people to be rich. He couldn't have wanted Abraham to be rich if he didn't want you to be rich. He'd be a respecter of persons. So back to Abraham's story. And his life that was directed by God at age 75, God appeared to him and he left and went to where he told him to go. He prospered greatly, miraculously on his journey. And God is telling through Moses, is telling the children of Israel, these are the things that God wants for you too. Now, folks, we're facing a time when our economy is getting worse rather than getting better. And the things that are taking place around us, which are brought on to a great degree by the government, it doesn't look like things are going to get any better. But we need to remember that we operate under a different system. We're not operating under the, the world system, which is motivated and ruled by the devil. We're operating under God's system, or at least we have the opportunity to do so. Not every Christian will. But we have the opportunity to operate by God's laws rather than the laws of man. One of the first things that takes place when the economy starts to, to go in a downturn or toward recession, a lot of times people pull back and they hold back on their giving. But folks, if there's ever a time that's more important for you to put giving first, it's during these times that we live in. Don't hold back on your giving. Increase your giving. Give God something to work with. So, it tells us that Abraham was or became very rich in silver and cattle and gold. It tells us in Genesis chapter 14 about when Lot 
was and his family was taken captive. Verse 14, Genesis 14, 14, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed, armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. He had 318 people working for him. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his, and his goods and the women also and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Cherudim, something. And of the kings that were with him into the valley of Shava, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham the most high, of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered thine enemies unto his hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Now the tithe is 10%. And this is the first time that any, anybody that we have record of pays tithes. And it's not something that God tells him to do. The tithe is, with some people, very controversial. And some people try to say that it's been fulfilled by Jesus and so we're not bound by the tithe and so forth. And I don't think the point is even worth arguing over because when you understand the origin of the tithe, Abram did something out of a desire to honor God not because he was commanded to, not because God required of him to give the tenth of his increase, but it was something that Abram wanted to do as a memorial to the God that's blessed him and made him rich. The tithe has a lot more significance than I think we realize. It's a declaration followed by action to say that we believe in God that we put him first and especially in times like this there's never been a, a time that it's more important for you and I to be on God's side where the economy and, and money is concerned And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take thy goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread of his, or even a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say that you made Abram rich. Now, folks, this is the kind of person that God wants to bless. He has, through his time of walking with the Lord up to this point, made himself the servant of God. Actually, he was the covenant partner with God. 
or becomes that shortly thereafter. But whatever riches he has doesn't have him. Whatever his financial condition or how rich he is, none of those riches have turned him away to enjoy the things of the world. But in fact, it's just the opposite. He chooses to honor God in a way that nobody has ever done before. Now in Genesis chapter 15, I want you to look at that with me, verse 1. It starts off and says, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Notice that phrase, and after these things. The Bible is in one sense a running commentary on God and man. And it tells us, and this is not the only place. As a matter of fact, I encourage you to look for places throughout the Scripture where it tells us that one thing brings about another thing. Now, you know as well as I do that the Bible wasn't written in chapter and verse. The chapters and the verses are divided by the translators and for the most part, they did a wonderful job. But anywhere it talks about an after these things or uses a phrase similar to this, it's telling us that the thing that's about to be talked about or about to be revealed is dependent or brought about by the previous things that the, the scripture tells us in other words it's telling us that chapter 15 and the, re, the things that took place as a result came about because of the chapter 14 experience where Abram paid tithes at Melchizedek so it says after these things the word of the Lord came into Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I'm the shield and the exceeding great reward. It's telling us that God took another step forward toward Abraham because of Abraham's memorial and desire to honor God by paying tithes to Melchizedek. Because, in other words, because Abraham honored God with his, with his money, his finances. Abram is, giving an, a, a, is given an additional promise by God to be his shield and his exceeding great reward. So we see, even before we know anything about the tithe, that God says because Abraham honored him with the tithe, he will receive an exceeding great reward. Now that exceeding great reward goes further than anything that he's had before. That exceeding great reward is the result of his attitude to honor God 
and God is saying, don't worry about your finances. They'll simply increase because you've put me first. Now we know that this is identified further on in the covenant promises. For example, Malachi chapter 3, it says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive. So God's saying, Show me the same honor that Abram showed toward Melchizedek to pay tithes in Melchizedek and your finances will simply increase and increase and increase an exceeding great reward is an ongoing thing folks God's not trying to get something from you he's trying to get something to you but the attitude of the heart is all, all important the attitude of the heart where the tithe is concerned is of utmost importance. But God says there's an exceeding great reward as a result. And Abram said unto the Lord, verse 2, Genesis 15, And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold to me, Thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thy own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Now here's an additional promise. God has promised to give him children to bless his seed. But now he tells him that his seed is going to be like the stars of the sky. Innumerable in other words. Verse 6. And Abraham believed in the Lord. And he, God, counted it to him, Abram, for righteousness. Here's the first time that it talks about believing. Here's the first time in the scripture that he identifies faith. And the operation of faith toward God. Abraham believed the Lord. And God counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give this land to inherit it. To give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. He's talking about the bondage of Egypt. And also that nation whom thou shalt serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. 
and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace and shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not full. God's promising all of the nation of Israel to be wealthy and rich just like Abram was. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. This is all covenant-cutting activity that's taking place here. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying unto thy seed, Have I given thee this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Kedemonites and the others that he mentioned? Folks, God doesn't have a problem with his children being rich. In fact, the first promise that God made and fulfilled to Abram was to bless him. And we see that that's talking about finances. We go on further into God's dealing with Abraham. Chapter 16 tells us about how Ishmael was born and the things surrounding that action and the birthing of the child Ishmael. But that brings us back to chapter 17. Chapter 17 identifies for us God's plan and purpose. Again in verse 1, And when Abram was 99 years, 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee ex exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, As for me, my, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be any more called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and will make nations of thee, and kings will come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generation, for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give thee unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generation. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. And he that is eight days old small shall be circumcised among you every man child in your generation he that is born of the, in the house or bought with money of any stranger he is, which is not of thy seed so it skips down and goes to verse 15 and God said unto Abraham as for Sarah thy wife thou shalt not call her name Sarai but Sarah shall her name be and I will bless her and give thee a son also of her Yea, I will bless thee, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be of her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, 
Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And God, Abram said unto God, O oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with, thy seed, with his seed after him. So God's promising a son, Isaac, to Abraham. But notice in those verses that we read that Abraham laughed. Now some people would try to turn that around and say that the word means rejoice. And he's rejoicing over the promise of a child. But it doesn't sound to me like he's rejoicing over it. Instead, he's questioning it. He says, God, do you mean to say that somebody that's 100 years old with a wife of 90 years old is going to bear a child? So he asked for a blessing upon Ishmael instead. And God said, I will take care of Ishmael. But the son that is going to be your seed that carries the blessing of Abraham will come from Sarah. Verse 21, but my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set, set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Now the next thing we see is in chapter 18. The Lord appears unto him, Abram in the plains of Mamre, and sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. He comes down and reveals to Abraham his plan and his purpose for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But just as Abraham laughed prior to this in the appearance in chapter eight, uh, chapter 17, now Sarah is faced with the same situation, the same truth. You know, Sarah is listed in the Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame of Faith and I think she deserves a lot more credit than what we normally give to her. We don't usually talk much about Sarah, but it's just Abraham and the blessing that God provided for him or gave to him. But all these times that God is appearing to Abraham, he never appears to Sarah. And so the only thing that she has to go on to know about God are the things that her husband Abraham relates to her. He sees God, I hate to say it this way, but I don't know any other way to say it. He sees God in the flesh, but she never sees him. She may recognize the appearance of these people that show up, but she's never in on the, the revelation or the things that God does. In verse 9, chapter 18, verse 9, they said unto him, this is God and the angels that go down to, to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. They said unto him, where is Sarah thy wife? And he says, behold, in the tent. And he said, certainly... I will certainly return unto thee, 
according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. She's listening in on what's going on, but she's not in the tent with him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? So we've got Abraham that's not laughing anymore, but Sarah is. And she's just as important for the plan of God to come to fruition as her husband Abraham is. So the Lord asks a question of Abraham, and she hears it. She's still eavesdropping. And the Lord asks a question that I think is something that we all need to ask ourselves continually, especially during the things that we're standing in faith for and believing God for. So where the Lord said, why did Sarah laugh? He then asked the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is your age, Sarah's age of 90, and her body not producing anymore in the reproductive sense, is that too hard for God? Is it too hard for God to make Abraham able to bring forth a child or to get his wife pregnant because he's only 100 years old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Verse 14, at the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Now I want you to, to think of this through with me. She says, I didn't laugh. Who is she saying it to? She said, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Who is the he that said, nay, but you did laugh? I think it's Abraham. I think it's Abraham that said, you did laugh, and he's going just simply by what God had told him. If God said you laugh, then you laugh. If that's the case, then we see a huge shift in Abraham's belief. In chapter 17, where it said that according to this time of the year, next year, I will bring forth a son. If she carried the baby to full term, which is nine months, then there was only three months that was required for them to stand in faith before she got pregnant. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Abraham has finally come to the place where he believes 
in God, knows him well enough to stand in faith for the promise of God to be fulfilled. So the, the next portion of Scripture tells about how he interceded for Lot when the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah took place. Now, folks, I want you to turn with me to the New Testament account of Abraham's life in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, it said, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. These words have greater meaning than this scripture pretends. Here where it says, Abraham, after God had said to him, I have made thee the father of many nations. Notice that phrase, before him whom he believed. Before him whom he believed. That means that, that Abraham was acting like God in this situation. What God had said was, Behold, I have made thee the father of many nations. Behold, I have made thee the father of many nations. It doesn't say that God is going to or promised Abraham that he would make him the father of many nations. It tells us, tells us that he did say that he would be a father of many nations. Folks, God talks in past tense. And it tells us that Abraham was like unto God. The first psalm says, Blessed art those that walk in the, the uh, counsel of God and walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. The counsel of the ungodly is the counsel of the ungodlike. In other words, it tells us that people of the world act like their father, the devil. But faith, this thing called faith, is such a wonderful experience, but is probably, in my opinion, less understood than it should be. Abraham and Sarah both expressed doubt when God told them about the birth of Isaac. But God's been a partner with Abraham since he was 75 years old. So 25 years have gone by without God's promise of a child being fulfilled. But something changes. Something changes in the way that God is dealing with his covenant partner. God changed his name from Abram, which means father of nations, to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And of all the things that have taken place, of all the hope that Abraham and Sarah put in God from the time that Abraham was 75 years old when God first appeared unto him, first made the promise to bless him and his seed after him, these 25 years have been marked 
by a failure of the promise of God concerning children to come to pass. And if Abraham had not believed in God, the promise of God never would have come to pass. Most of the church world has the idea that if God wants something, it'll happen. But remember, God created man, Genesis 1.26, to have authority here on the earth. So the things that do come to pass in our lives have more to do with us than it does the will of God. The will of God can be cooperated with or it can be rejected. And God will stand back and let either one happen. But something happens in this last time that God appears to Abraham before Isaac is born. And what happens is that Abraham changes what he says about himself. Every time that he calls himself by the new name that God gave him, no longer Abram, he was named Abram by his parents. And perhaps they desired of him to be a father of nations. We don't know exactly why they gave him the name Abram, but we do know why God changed his name to Abraham. Abraham and Sarah are living through what could be called a great contradiction. They've been named by God Abraham and Sarah which means father of many nations and a princess and the only thing that changes is what they begin to say of themselves if you're ever going to experience the power of God or the will of God coming to, coming to pass in your life, you're going to have to start changing what you say. You're going to have to start changing or speaking of yourself what God says about you. Faith is not faith without a, contra without a contradiction. Abraham and Sarah's contradiction is their age. Their bodies are no longer functioning in the manner of the reproductive way that God has set up for children to be born. They're both too old to have children. Their bodies aren't functioning that way anymore. And so for a time being at least, they assume that means that the promise of God cannot come to pass. I'm sure they looked back during specific times of their lives and questioned whether God really told them in Genesis 12 that he would give them children. But once they start saying who God says they are, things begin to change. 
as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed. In other words, like unto God. How is he like unto God? Who quickeneth the dead and calleth things which be not as though they were. Now, again, the translators didn't help us much with this, but we really can't be too hard on them because the idea that Abraham is acting like God, who Paul tells us quickens or makes alive the dead, that seems like too big a jump. And how could man have that authority or the power to bring something dead back to life. Well, Abraham did have that power. It was given to him by the promise of God. God said, I have made thee the father of many nations. So that qualifies him to call himself the father of many nations. In other, in other words, for the way of the father of many nations to become the father of many nations, He's going to have to stand on what God said. He speaks life into his body every time he calls him the name that God gave him. He's speaking life into a body that's too old to have children. So the two things that it says about God that Abraham emulated was that God calls, quickens the dead or brings dead things back to life and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Abraham has a very simple choice. He can either agree with what God said about him or he can deny it. He's seen God operate in his life for 25 years never doing him wrong but bringing him into victory after victory he promised to make him rich and he, and he did so he has experience in other areas not in giving birth to children so much but he has found God faithful so he chooses to be like God who quickens the dead, who calls dead things life, calls dead things back to life. And he calls those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope. The against the hope is talking about the circumstances or the contradiction in his body and in Sarah's. Who against hope believed in hope. He didn't have any natural hope, so he had to take hope from what God had said who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Paul says that Abraham understood something about this thing called faith. This thing called faith, and we're talking about biblical faith, scriptural faith. is able to bring dead things back to life. who against hope, 
against the contradiction, in other words, the circumstances in his flesh, who against hope believed in the hope of God's word or God's promise. And what's that going to do? What does Abraham believe or expect to take place when he starts calling himself who God says he is? Well, Paul says that he did this that he might become the father of many nations. So when God calls him the father of many nations and gives him a part of his own name, Abraham, when God gives him this new name, Abraham understands, he has come to the understanding, he certainly didn't know this all the way in the 25 years before, but he understands that it brings into reality what God has said about him. That he might become the father of many nations. When he believes God and it's counted to him for righteousness, as it says in chapter 15 of Genesis, he's coming to the realization that faith changes things from the way they appear and the physical realities, and it is a physical reality that he's too old to have children. Same for Sarah. But he's come to the understanding that he can bring to pass what God's promise said that he would do by simply calling things that be not as though they were. So he wants to be the father of many nations, just like God has promised. But it's up to him, not God. It's up to him to bring that into being. So against hope, the only thing he had in the natural realm was the contradiction concerning his body. So he didn't have any natural hope, so he believed in the hope that God's word brought that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Remember, that's when God showed him the stars of the sky and said, number them. So shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, folks, this is one of the most important things about faith that you can ever know. The faith that brings into being or brings, comes, brings to pass that which God has promised. That faith has a contradiction that has to be not considered. Being not weak in faith, he understood that strong faith would be to not consider his body now dead. Now, folks, here's the, the rub where faith in God really starts. You can talk about believing God, and everybody will cheer your sermon. You can talk about God being trustworthy and faithful, and everybody will be happy about that. But when you start talking about calling things that be not as though they were, 
That's where the resistance is. The devil doesn't really care too much about what you think of God. He doesn't care too much about what you learn of God. But one thing he does care a lot about, and that's what you say about God. The devil knows that once you start speaking like God, speaking life into the things of your life that are dead and calling things that be not as though they are, you start that and all hell will break loose on you. Because the devil knows it's not what you think of God or believe of God that works. It's what you say about God and what you say about yourself that's the thing that makes the difference so Abraham chose not to be weak in faith in other words or in order to not be weak in faith he's got to not consider his own body now dead it doesn't mean that he rejects it it doesn't mean that he says that it's not what it is it means that he doesn't let his contradiction or the consequences of his flesh the circumstances in his flesh dictate what he says and being not weak in faith he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith giving glory to God I think it's the New International Version that says it this way. Or maybe the American Standard Version, I'm not sure. But another translation says, looking under the promise of God, he staggered not to unbelief. Well, if he's not considering his own body now dead, he's got to consider something else in its place. What does he consider if not his own body? Looking under the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief. The way to overcome contradictions in your life, and there is no fight of faith without a contradiction. Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, I think it was. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Now, eternal life is spoken of to be something more than just what happens to us when we die. A lot of the church recognizes that eternal life means the forgiveness of sins and the redemption of our spirits by the shed blood of Jesus. But Timothy, that Paul writes this to, is already saved. So when he talks about fighting the good fight of faith and laying hold on eternal life, he's talking about something else. He's talking about the other benefits. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. What benefits are there to eternal life? Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeems thy life from destruction, and crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. 
So laying hold on eternal life that Paul encourages Timothy for to do means more than just being forgiven from your sin. It means to take hold of the blessings of Abraham, all of the covenant blessings that God promised Abraham and brought to pass in his life. Laying hold on eternal life is laying hold on healing and health. Laying hold on eternal life is laying hold on prosperity and provision. It's laying hold on eternal laying hold of eternal life is to lay hold on everything that God has promised himself to be to his people by these seven different redemptive names. So looking under the promise of God, he staggered not to unbelief. Remember, James said that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. A double-minded man is a man that speaks the word in some cases, in some situations, but then he speaks the circumstances or the contradictions of life just as much. But if you're going to overcome the contradictions of your faith, that which opposes your faith, you're going to have to keep your eyes on something that's true and sure, which is the Word of God. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. But looking under the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Here's that question again. Is anything too hard for God? Being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Brother Hagin used to tell a story about Norval Hayes. Norval was a unique individual. He had so many quirks about him. He was fun to be around. He was ministering to the sick in some place. And he got to this guy that had a, um, there was something wrong with his leg or his hip. And he was on crutches. And when he got to him, when Norval got to the guy, the Lord spoke to him and said, if he'll call his legs straight, it'll straighten out. And so Norval told that to the guy. He said, the Lord just told me that if you'll call your legs straight, then it will be straight. Now, folks, I don't know what kind of doctor's diagnosis he's gotten. But whatever hopeless condition he was in, the hope that came from God's promise, what God told Norville, was enough for him to be healed with. So Norville told this guy, the Lord told me if you'll call your legs straight, it'll straighten out. And the guy, not being very knowledgeable about faith or the way, the way faith operates, said, well, I can't call it straight. Norval said, why not? He says, because it's not. 
That'd be lying. And so Norville told him again, but the Lord just told me, if you'll call your legs straight, it will be straight. The guy said, well, I can't do that. God would not be pleased with me lying about my leg. And then Norval asked him, he said, do you realize that God has just called your leg straight by telling me what he told me? And he says, yeah. So then Norval told him, well, if God can call your leg straight, then so can you. And he said, no, God can get away with doing that because he's God. But I can't lie about my leg. And Norville told him, God told me, if you'll call your leg straight, it will become straight. And then he said, if it's okay for God to call your leg straight, then it has to be okay for you to call your leg straight. So he said, I call my leg straight. And Norval said, it's not going to work like that. You've got to say it like you mean it. Say it louder. He said, I call my leg straight. So he and Norval went round and round about this for five or six times. And finally, he got the guy to, to say it out loud, to yell it loud. My leg is straight. And he kept him doing it. Norval kept him saying, I call my leg straight. I call my leg straight. He got louder and louder the more he did it. And all the time that he was spending calling his leg straight, he didn't notice when it became straight. Folks, we have such an advantage to have the written word of God available to us where we can go to it and find hope for our situations where we can stand in faith and call things that be not as though they are and to see and understand the promise of God come to reality in our lives and in our bodies It took Abraham 25 years to come to the realization that his faith can bring about what God promised. I'm not sure if he had operated in faith earlier in his life that he would have had Isaac when he was 80 years old or 85 years old or whenever. I'm inclined to believe that God wanted it to turn out the way that it did because Abraham, as a result of his age and he and Sarah's bodies not functioning, functioning in a reproductive manner any longer, God performed the impossible 
We look at Isaac's birth and we say what a miracle was wrought. But folks, if you think about it, Abraham's the one that brought the miracle to pass. Abraham's the one that determined when he would have the child. Now, he certainly didn't know that at the time. But he came to the realization that the promise of God is true. And because the promise of God is true, no matter the contradiction, no matter the contradictory circumstance of our lives and of our flesh, God's word can and will always come to pass for those that stand upon the truth and walk by faith. Abraham was like God in two respects. He quickened the dead. He began to call life, speak life into his body. And he called things that were not as though they were everything you ever receive from God will come about as a result of you saying of yourself what God says about you. You're the one with authority. You're the one that was created in the image of God, the image and likeness of God for the purpose of of exercising your authority and walking in the blessings of the Lord here on this earth. God's not going to want you to be more blessed in heaven than he wants you to be blessed here. God never changes. And so the same thing God would have for you in heaven, he has provided for you here on this earth. And he's given you this marvelous thing called faith. When I first got to Ramah, I was going to healing school, and Brother Hagin said something, first time I ever heard him say it, heard him say it many more times throughout his life, but he said something that really got my attention. He said, I feel sorry for people that have always had it easy, and I thought, I haven't. I always wanted to be one of those people that had it easy. But he continued, he said, I, I feel sorry for people that have always had it easy in life because there's something about the lessons of faith that will bring you to a knowledge of God that nothing else will. And knowing God is more important than the, the blessing of Abraham that we're taking hold of, laying hold of by the fight of faith. Knowing God is the greatest thing there is understanding his character and his nature, standing on his word, no matter what the contradiction is or how long is there. There's nothing that's worth more than knowing God as your father. Father, we bless you. We magnify your name. 
we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you that there's not one problem, one affliction, one difficulty of this life that you have not made provision for us to overcome. We thank you, Father, that this is our year of jubilee. This is our year of glory. When we see your promises come to pass, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. We thank you for the faith that comes by hearing your word. We thank you for boldness to speak your word. Boldness that only comes by stretching forth your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that because we've set our love upon you, you deliver us. Because we've known your name, you set us on high. When we call upon you, you answer us. You are with us in trouble. You honor us and you deliver us. We say that with long life, we shall be satisfied. And that you fulfill all the days of our life here on this earth. Father, forgive us for impatience. For we have found you faithful. No matter how long something is gone, your faithfulness always stands. We love you, Father. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy unto us. If you can agree with that, say amen. Let's all stand together and say our confession one more time. This is our year of jubilee. Let's say it together. Start over. This is our year of Jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing in Jesus' name. Folks, that's who we are. That's who God said we are. And that's who we live up to by faith. Amen. You need to make an announcement? Yeah, I just needed to give everybody just a little bit of direction um, before we are dismissed to go for lunch. So please stay with us. We have lots of food. And um, we're, what we're going to do is we're all just going to be dismissed. Parents, if you will pick up your children, they are in the game room uh, right next to the coffee bar. And um, then we ask parents that you help your children serve themselves their own food. 
okay? Because otherwise they're going to pile it up. They're going to put too much. They're going to drop their plate. And so, and then just make sure that every, there's going to be enough for seconds, thirds, fourths, whatever. But we just want to make sure that everybody gets their first choice, you know, so, so don't take all of one item that you may be looking at that you've heard is the best. So anyway, there's going to be plenty of food, but just, you know, uh, be able to carry it to your seat. That's all we ask, okay? All right, we're dismissed, and um, Pastor Chip's going to be in there. We're going to be seated for a few minutes until everybody gets in there. Once everybody gets in there, Pastor Chip will pray, and then he will dismiss you to your tables. Thank you.